Welcome to Harper Audio Presents. This is Erin Wicks with Harper Audio. I recently spoke with Karen Abbott, author of Liar Temptress Soldier Spy, on sale September 2nd, 2014. Liar Temptress Soldier Spy tells the true story of four women who served as spies in the Civil War. Belle Boyd, a Southern socialite violently opposed to the invasion of her town by the Northern Army. Emma Edmondson, who dressed as a man for years and served in the Union Army. Rose O'Neill Greenhow, a glamorous widow and seductress who gathered secrets for the Confederacy. And Elizabeth Van Lu, a fierce abolitionist living in the South and dedicated to freeing slaves. Though the book is all fact, it reads like fiction, drawing readers into the exhilarating stories of these women's lives and following their adventures through the course of the war. Before speaking with Karen Abbott, let's listen to an excerpt from the audiobook of Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy, narrated by Karen White. Frank stepped forward. He was five foot six, two inches shorter than the average Union Army recruit, solid but thin. He told the doctor he was 19 years old, 20 come December. The doctor's eyes skimmed his shoulders and back, torso and legs. He coiled his fingers around Frank's wrist and lifted up his hand. He turned it over as if it were a tarot card, studying its nuances, noting the absence of calluses, the smooth palm, the slim and tapered fingers. For the first time, he looked Frank directly in the eye. Well, the officer said, what sort of living has this hand earned? Frank was suddenly and strangely conscious of his voice. He willed his words to flow smoothly, to sound convinced of their own authenticity and tone. They would get him to the other side. Up to the present, he replied, that hand has been chiefly engaged in getting an education. Without further questioning, the doctor marked Frank Thompson fit to serve as a private for Company F, 2nd Michigan Infantry. Frank took the oath of allegiance to the United States, solemnly swearing to Almighty God to support the Constitution and maintain it with his life. He assured himself that this was a calling, that he had to do what he could for the defense of the right, and that if he was careful, no one would discover his secret Frank Thompson was really Emma Edmondson and had been posing as a man for two years. Karen, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Thanks so much for having me. My first question, I feel like all American students learn about the Civil War growing up, but I never encountered much about Civil War spies, much less the significant role female spies played in the war. What was your inspiration for this? How did you find these women? Well, I had never heard of female Civil War spies either um, and didn't truthfully know much about the Civil War at all until I moved from Philadelphia to Atlanta. Uh, This was back in 2001. I was immediately surprised by how the Civil War was really still alive and well down there. I recall being stuck in traffic behind a truck with a bumper sticker, and I had to look at this bumper sticker for two hours, (laughs) and this bumper sticker read, Don't blame me. I voted for Jeff Davis. So I had a lot of time to sit there and think about the Civil War. Um, And after that ride, I I started looking into it immediately and just seeking stories of long-forgotten players, uh, the players on the margins. As with my first two books, I'm I'm really fascinated by how women in history, either by necessity or desire, um, found ways to circumvent 
um, or subvert the roles that they're given at the time, um, sort of what society prescribes for them. And, and obviously the women at this time had no vote, no access to political discourse, uh, no voice in how the generals waged war, and they had to find other ways to contribute and to be heard. Um, so a lot of them took control of their homes and their family businesses. Uh, they took control of their plantations. They even managed their slaves in the fields, which I imagine was a, a great sort of, uh, obviously, a change and a challenge for them. Um, and some of them backed up orders with violence. Some of them formed aid societies, and they would spend all day gathering um, with other women and darning socks and underwear for the soldiers and gossiping. <laughs> They even served as informal recruiting officers, um, and this was one of my favorite tidbits about um, how women sort of shamed men into enlisting in the war. And they would, if they knew a man who did not enlist or who was refusing to enlist for whatever reason, they would send over a crinoline with a note attached, and the note would say, wear these or volunteer. Uh, so the men got a very clear message about, about what the women thought um, if, they, if they were shirking their patriotic duty and refusing to enlist. Um, and some of the women, and the women I decided to focus on, were determined to do even more than that. And they wanted to insert themselves in the war and act as spies and, and hope to change the course of history. And now, but these weren't the only women who were spies in the war. And I'm wondering how you chose these specific four women, because you really, one of the great things is dig into each woman's experience so that we really feel like we know them as characters and as people glad to hear you say that um, because I really became enamored with all of them for different reasons. And my goal was to find four very different women in different stages of their lives who each brought a unique perspective and set of desires to the situation. I first came upon Belle Boyd, who was probably my favorite, um, just because she's sort of all id. She's all passion. She's all impulse. Um, she was the 17-year-old rebel girl who had a, literally had a deadly temper. Um, and like any teenager, she was sort of just operated strictly on impulse. Um, her rivals, she had all these rivals in her teenage circle, and they all called her the fastest girl in Virginia. And she never considered the consequences of her actions. Um, but the difference was, you know, this volatile behavior was playing out on the biggest stage in the world at the time, uh, during the most vital period of American history. So I started with her. Then I moved on to somebody on the Union side, Emma Edmonds, who was this 20-year-old woman who had been living in his man for two years. Uh, who decides to enlist in the Union Army. And she does this at great risk to herself. There were serious consequences if she had been discovered. Um, and so she has to live every day hoping that her secret is going to stay safe. And it's not always as easy as she imagines it's going to be, and she struggles with that all the while, um, in addition to facing literally life-or-death circumstances on the battlefield. The next one was Rosa Neal Greenhow, who was this 40-something woman who lost her husband and five children, and whose very way of life was being threatened by the war. She had nothing left to lose and agrees to operate a Confederate spy ring in Washington, D.C., uh, the Union capital. And the last was Elizabeth Van Loo, who was an interesting counterpart to Rose Greenhow. She was in Richmond, the Confederate capital, and builds a spy ring there, even placing a former slave inside the Confederate White House, right under the noses of increasingly suspicious rebel detectives. So they were very different ladies, but all with one common denominator. They were willing to risk everything, their homes, their families, and their very lives to aid their cause. It's a fascinating read. It's completely engaging. And like I said, it, it reads almost like fiction in a really good way because it's even more powerful knowing that it's nonfiction. So I guess, was this intentional, the fact that it very, feels very plot-driven, which a lot of history books don't. Even though the plot's already there, you know, it feels very um, tightly paced. Uh, how are you able to achieve this? Oh, well, thank you. It's really nice to hear that, too. I, I try... Um, 
you know, my biggest goal with my books is to make it read like a novel. Um, I, I want somebody to be swept up in the story and not get lost in facts. So thank you for saying that. I'm glad, I'm glad you had that experience with it. So it is definitely intentional. My main goal with any book is to allow the reader to get lost in a completely different era, um, sort of the next best thing to a time travel machine. And I think the key to narrative nonfiction, um, as opposed to academic history, is all in the details. And I began to realize the importance of detail back when I worked for a weekly newspaper in Philadelphia, which was a long, long time ago, uh, my first job after college. And I had pretty free reign and could spend a lot of time on my stories. And it, it came to me that the key to making people connect with your subject matter, whether it was a story about a politician or a horrific murder at a school fair, which was one of the things I remembered most uh, stories uh, during that time, it was the details. Um, it never works if you, the writer, try to be funny or scary or chilling. You have to let the details create the mood for you. They are what make a scene and characters come to life. One example in, in this book, in Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy, is Union General James Shields, um, who was a very interesting and sort of creepy character uh, for, for various reasons. But Belle Boyd, of course, is enamored with him. Um, she finds him charming. And I found an old note in an archive that mentioned how Belle was, quote, closeted for four hours with him. Um, and after they emerged from this uh, rendezvous, she wrapped a rebel flag around his head. It just gives you an example of truly brazen this girl was for her time and how she was able to literally get away with murder. So much juicy stuff here. It's, yeah. It's, so you mentioned the archive, and I was wondering, you have a note at the beginning that says that any of the thoughts that the characters are having in their heads that you're assigning to them, any of the dialogue you put in the book comes from original sources. You're not just fabricating that, which is amazing because there's, it's so richly packed with these things. How did you do your research, and where did you come up with these so many sources to make this great story? Um, well, I've been researching this book for about five years, and luckily, you know, what, what I think they say, there's about 60,000 books written about the Civil War, so there's, you know, no shortage of material there. Um, and my favorite resource there were the diaries from that time period. Um, those are where you're going to find those crucial details that make a story come to life. Uh, one of my favorite quotes came from a letter a soldier wrote to his wife. And when I kept reading this letter, it was a very strange letter for him to write to his wife because he's talking about the loose women, or camp followers as they were called, and all the prostitutes that showed up at camp and sort of followed these soldiers uh, from one place to the other. And I'm going to read the quote that he uh, said to his wife, just because I thought it was so colorful and great. Um, quote, almost all the women are given to whoredom, a private <laughs> name, or we'll see Bumpus complain to his wife, and they are the ugliest, sallow-faced, shaggy-headed, barefooted, dirty wenches you ever saw. Um, so it just sort of gave, it painted a very colorful and interesting picture in my mind of the kind of women these men were encountering on a daily basis. Um, some of my other favorite details uh, were about how Bell and other Confederate operatives smuggled items to the rebel army. Um, there was no short of, of ingenious ways that these people found to, to get goods to the rebel soldiers. Uh, when I visited the Museum of the Confederacy in Richmond, which was one of my favorite places to go to, too, it's just really steeped in, in really fascinating history, uh, the curator showed me photos of what she called an anal acorn. Um, which is an odd name, and it was not the official name for this thing. It's sort of the, the name that they gave to it. Um, but it was this odd acorn-shaped contraption in which spies uh, likely hid messages or important medicine like quinine, and then they smuggled this uh, acorn-shaped contraption inside their rear ends and across the lines. Uh, it sort of reminded me of Christopher Walken's famous scene in Pulp Fiction with his watch. Uh, so 
That was another little nugget, so to speak, <laughs> that I enjoyed. <laughs> um, and and another, uh, I guess my last favorite item, um, it was really thrilling to go through Elizabeth Van Lee's papers in the New York Public Library. Uh, there was one very chilling uh, note from a, a hate group. They said, please give us some of your blood to write with. And they threatened to burn our house down and kill her. And it was sort of really... Um, uh, visceral and and just gave you an idea of the terror she faced on a daily basis uh, with her spy activities. That's really horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so this book and your previous two um, all feature these really badass transgressive women. Your first book was called Sin in the Second City right. and it was about two women who opened a very high-end brothel in Chicago. Yes. And then you had American Rose uh, which tells the story of Gypsy and Rosalie. Yeah. So is this intentional? Why do you feel the need to tell these women's stories? I personally am a huge fan of, of learning about women like this in our history. Oh, good. Well, I'm a fan of them, too. Um, you know, they never got their due in the history books, so that's one of the reasons I sort of want to drag them from the margins of the history books and give them their own spotlight, um, because their stories are usually, if not, you know, always more fascinating than the men's, I find. Um, because they weren't expected to play main roles. So when they do, um, you know, it should really be highlighted and, and explored, I think. Um, but I've always been interested in, in women in particular who, who chafe at the restrictions society has placed on them and who are willing to um, employ extraordinary measures, and not always scrupulous or legal measures, um, to thwart them. For example, Rose Greenhow uh, didn't care that her neighbors made catty remarks about her reported romances with various government officials. And that doesn't sound too scandalous today, but if you think about that in the mid-19th um, century, uh, this was a widow with children, um, and she's sort of openly sleeping with various government officials on both sides of the debate. She risked being ostracized with a woman in society, and that was something that you wanted to avoid at all costs. So your reputation was everything. But she didn't care. Um, and to some extent, all of the women in this book just didn't care. Um, you know, they, they, there was a war going on, and war, like politics, was considered to be men's work, and women were supposed to be among its victims, not as perpetrators. And their loyalty was assumed. Um, loyalty was supposed to be a prime attribute of femininity itself. Uh, but once it came to light that there were female spies operating on both sides, um, you know, men were shocked by this. Uh, there was a big question throughout the war of, of what, you know, one Lincoln official said, what are we going to do with these, quote, fashionable women spies? And what was interesting to me about that was their gender, you know, provided them with a disguise, um, both literal and sort of figurative. They could literally hide evidence of their treason on their person. You know, they would tuck notes up into their hair. They would hide things under their hoop skirts. Um, and also just hide behind their gender. Their gender was supposed to be innocent and pure and loyal, and, and yet these women um, very expertly and, and deftly subverted those notions and, and um, got what they wanted. That's amazing. I'm so glad to have learned about that. <laughs> and, and then just a question for you. Do you mostly read fiction or nonfiction, and how do you think what you read in your personal life affects what you write? Um, I read everything, uh, fiction, nonfiction. Um, the last few years, I've been pretty much reading Civil War books exclusively. There was just so much to learn. I started out not knowing anything beyond the very basic knowledge I had learned in school as well. But in general, my taste is pretty varied. I love mysteries. I love historical fiction, especially anything set in the Gilded Age. Um, I love the Gilded Age, the robber barons, all of that sort of turmoil and the progressive era, people trying to overthrow all of the robber barons. Um, I like thrillers full of manly gunplay, um, which was a lot of fun to read, especially when you're writing about women. Um, it sort of puts you in mind of how these women probably thought. 
I love the Civil War period diaries uh, that described everything from how the men had to march with 15 pounds of dirt caked under their boots to how some female soldiers inadvertently revealed their sex. Um, that was one of my favorite tidbits. I remember reading the report of one recruit who forgot how to don pants, and she tried to put hers on by pulling them over her head. Um, <laughs> so anything that sort of puts me in mind of, of the project I'm working on or would give me a clue as to the mood of the characters I'm trying to explore. But I especially love narrative history, since the events are usually always stranger than fiction. So and those are the books I try to write myself. Well, I think you achieved that, and thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thanks again for having me. It was fun. Belle herself exchanged fond vows with several young soldiers, even as she wondered how many of them would soon be dead. War will exact its victims of both sexes, she mused, and claims the hearts of women no less than the bodies of men. Occasionally she wandered around camp, handing out religious tracts, denouncing everything from profanity to gambling to procrastination. Soldiers, one cautioned, must avoid the sin of being surprised by either the enemy or the devil, not because she objected to such vices, but because she longed to be useful. Any unfamiliar man might be a Yankee spy, and she believed it was her duty to entrap him. Be very careful what you say, she warned one trespasser dressed as a photographer. I was born at the North, but have lived among these people seven years. My sympathies are all with the Northern people. I am trying now to get a pass from General Beauregard that I may visit my sister in New York, who is a teacher in one of the public schools. I will gladly take any message you may want to send to your friends. The stranger declined her offer, but she would have other opportunities to dupe Yankee men. You've been listening to Harper Audio Presents, the bi-weekly podcast from HarperCollins Publishers, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. This week we spoke with Karen Abbott, author of Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy, on sale September 2, 2014, and listen to excerpts from the audiobook narrated by Karen White. Thank you for listening.